Oh, my God. 
After 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Wednesday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
J.M. in the A.M. Michal Przanski, that's Amechad, Kelakavod, done by Shalshelis. You heard you did your mayor in there with Limik Dashech, Ben Fega, that was Lipa. David Gabe had Vizku, Mehera, that's Shlomo Katz, Mordechai Shapiro's brand new Ainod Milvado, and of course Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. J.M. in the A.M., welcome to a Wednesday. Thanks for joining us. Hope you're doing well. And I thank you for uh, 
being part of this amazing radio experience. It's Wednesday, October the 14th, the 26th of Tishrei, the year 5781. Tough Shin Aleph. The brand new year going well, I hope, for all of you. And I thank you for tuning in. 53 degrees, sunshine, and a high temperature of 72. Tonight, clouds and a low of 57. Tomorrow, sunshine, a high, 76 degrees. 77 right now in Yerushalayim. We're at 53 here in New York City as we say good morning at um, JM and the AM. Today's going to be an interesting day on this broadcast, I would say. Um, are you familiar with the fact, those of you who are in Brooklyn, New York, that NYU hospital that we know as NYU Langone, pretty prominent hospital in New York city has an actual Brooklyn branch. And there's somebody in our community who plays a prominent role in that Brooklyn branch. We'll talk about that coming up in the seven o'clock hour and in the eight o'clock hour, Jacob Cornblue, who I know we've spoken about for the last half a week. <laughs> that he was scheduled to be with us. It does seem that he actually is going to be with us at 8.30 this morning. So I'm not going to promise anything. Um, and I, I also don't know if he could actually discuss the case, the legal case that he's involved in. I don't know if he could discuss that on the air, but he could certainly give us an overview of what's been going on in his Brooklyn neighborhood, and we'll get a perspective. A lot of people, a lot of uh, publications, and a lot of, um, a lot of public, um, how would I put it? A lot of public venues, public, um, um, there's a word I'm looking for, like uh, media arms uh, are, are making interesting statements about the situation that's going on in Brooklyn vis-a-vis -vis the city and state governments. Uh, we'll try to press him for his opinion on that matter. Should be interesting. Anyway, so that's the story. So coming up uh, today... Um, We'll discuss all of that here at JM and the AM. It's a, a full Wednesday broadcast with a full Wednesday schedule on the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, we also are asking everybody who has not yet participated in our 2020 fall campaign to go to fjbunity.org. Please go to fjbunity.org. You will see there the letter that I wrote uh, just a couple of weeks ago about the importance of supporting this radio show and radio uh, broadcast uh, entity, the Nahum Siegel Network. And I hope you'll take it very seriously. I hope you'll uh, understand that we've been doing this for 37 years and understand even better than that, that we have been a uh, an absolute must for so many during this COVID-19 situation. Literally from the time that it hit around Purim time until today, we have been a real source of community and togetherness. And uh, we hope that you would use that opportunity to support uh, a symbol and a practical uh, element of togetherness and unity. Um, and you could do that by going to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, and we thank you for that. Plenty more coming up. After all, it's a Wednesday morning, and this is JM in the AM. Emmes, 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 Emmes,
Thank you. 
Shragi Gestetner with a uh, Yussi Green set off of a CD entitled Varmkite. Remember that one? David Ross before that with Power to Be. You heard Ayeka done by uh, Yishai Rebo and Shuli Ron. Maishi Tischler had that wedding mix, and Shmuley Unger opened up that set with MS here at JM in the AM. More coming up. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard. On listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web at NahumSingle.com and the NahumSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes kosher, tr- traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more. And modern, better-for-you kosher products, including no-nitrate-added, reduced-fat, and sodium hot dogs. Plus, many other unique items. Visit the website at kosherdogs.net. And try A&H today. Galaitzal in the background. We'll do our news from Israel and plenty more coming up. Galaitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Wednesday follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM in the AM. Galaitzal, Mirushalayim, Asha Ashtayim, Shalom Rav, Kan Rani Avnai, Ima Shekore Achshav. שר בריאות אדלשטיין אומר, למרות הסגר, אנחנו עדיין רואים הדבקה. פתיחת מערכת החינוך לא תיקבע על ידי תאריך, אלא מדדי התחלואה. קרוב לשלושת אלפים נדבקים בתנאי סגר. זאת אומרת שההדבקה איפשהו מתבצעת. פתיחת מערכת החינוך תהיה הדרגתית, היא לא תתבסס על שום תאריכים, היא תתבסס על מספר הנדבקים מתוך כשלושים אלף בדיקות יומיות. ומהו אותו ההר מקדם ההדבקה? לא יעזרו הלחצים, היא תהיה הדרגתית, היא תהיה איטית. בדבריו הביאה כתבתנו מוריה אסרף וולברג. במקביל לממונה על הקורונה, פרופסור רוני גמזו אמר לפני שעה קלה, אנחנו שוקלים לקצר את ימי הבידוד. כתבנו יובל שגב שמע אותו. אנחנו בוחנים כרגע קיצור הבידודים, יש לנו מספיק בדיקות כדי לעשות את זה. מבחינה מדעית ניתן לקצר את הבידוד כאשר אתה עושה בדיקות ביום שלוש או ביום עשר. אנחנו עד כה לא יכולנו לעשות את זה, מכיוון שייעדנו את הבדיקות בעיקר של אנשים סימפטומיים ולקטיעה. היועץ המשפטי לממשלה מנדלבליט מגיב על דבריו של חבר הכנסת מיקי זוהר הבוקר ואומר אמשיך לפעול ללא מורא וללא פחד ומשיקולים ענייניים בלבד מדווח כתבנו בן נצר בהודעתו כתב מנדלבליט כי איומים לא ירתיעו אותו מלבצע את מלאכתו עוד כתב כי הטענה כאילו הושפע בהחלטותיו משיקולים זרים מופרכת והדגיש כי אין זיקה בין דברים שנאמרו בכעס לפני שנים לבין תיקים הנוגעים לראש הממשלה בנוסף כתב כל ניסיון להלך אימים באמצעות איום על חשיפת חומרים מכפישים, נידון לכישלון. 
נעצר החשוד בגרימת נזק לארון החשמל בבניין עיתון הארץ שבתל אביב. החשוד שנתפס בשדרות ירושלים הובא לחקירה בתחנת המשטרה. אחרי שמונה חודשים של עיכוב אושרו היום תוכניות תנייה ללמעלה מ-2,000 יחידות דיור בהתנחלויות. מדווח כתבנו ביהודה ושומרון שחר גליק. אחרי שמונה חודשים שלא התכנסה, מועצת התכנון העליונה של המינהל האזרחי ישבה בשעות האחרונות לדון בכ-2,000 תוכניות בנייה. 1,300 קיבלו מתן תוקף ויכולות להתחיל לבנות כבר ממחר, ו-900 נוספות קיבלו אישור להפקדה, שלב אחד נוסף בדרך לאישורן הסופי. מחר ידונו במינהל בכ-2,000 יחידות נוספות, ובכך יקדמו בסך הכל תוכניות של כ-4,300 יחידות דיור ביהודה ושומרון. משרד התקשורת הודיע כי כל יישוב יכול להקים רשת סיבים עצמאית. המהלך יאפשר לגשר על הפערים בין הפריפריה למרכז ותאפשר ליישובים קטנים ומרוחקים להתחבר לתשתיות אינטרנט אולטרה מהירות כבר עכשיו. שר התקשורת יועז הנדל אמר, התוכנית תאפשר לספק לבתים רבים ברחבי הארץ את השירות המתקדם, המהיר והטוב ביותר ותכניס תחרות בריאה שתאפשר כניסת שחקנים חדשים לתחום. קרן חירום לתקופת קורונה לצעירים במועדוני ספורט הושקע היום בבית הנשיא. מטרת היוזמה של עמותת ערכים בספורט וקרן סילבן אדמס לסייע לילדים ונוער ממועדוני כדורגל וכדורסל להמשיך בפעילות ספורטיבית בעזרת מעטפת חירום פיננסית וחברתית לתקופת קורונה. הנה דבריו של הנשיא ריבלין. ספורט איננו מותרות, אלא דרך חיים. ספורט הוא חמצן לנשימה. דווקא ברגע של חוסר ודאות, אין מקום חשוב יותר לילדים ולבני נוער מאשר בית חם ותומך אותו מספקים מארדוני הספורט ומחלקות הנוער. מדבריו של הנשיא הביא כתב חדשות הספורט ליעל אריה. מזג האוויר ללא שינוי ניכר בטמפרטורות. אלה החדשות שעורך רועי ולד.
Avi Delevante, Nissim Black. Such a beautiful city. You're a Kodesh. Je t'ai quitté Jérusalem en pleurant. I left my tears on your stone, Jerusalem. Mais je sais, je reviendrai, je suis croyant. Je t'aime en Jérusalem. La gloire, tu la portes en toi. Mais toi, on te Shines bright, the free town ain't a fire in a world like this. So we pray for the city with a fire on our lips. Yerushalayim, we see all the other lands truly need thee. Whether or not an embassy, sympathetic empathy will bring us to a greater peace. Uh, Cause we're the glory of the east. God's greatest gift runs deeper than the sea. Love and justice and truth we preach. Even on a shorthand, we still reach. Song recommended to me by our brilliant music director, uh, Mark Zamek, Avi Delavanti, and Denisim Black with The Peace in the World. Before that, Shlomi Toysig had you did Nefesh. You heard Nonstop Freilich done by Lipo Wednesday morning, JM in the AM. Hello, hello. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll take a close look at the um, Brooklyn Langone 
uh, medical facility. Coming up with Dr. Joseph Weistach, who's going to join us uh, just a few minutes here at JMNAM. Also in hour number uh, three, Jacob Kornblue. Uh, the reporter is beginning a lot of publicity, not always for the best reasons, meaning n- not his fault that it's not for the best reasons. Uh, he's been attacked unjustly, in my opinion. Uh, he'll join us. I don't think he could discuss the case, quote unquote, but he can discuss what's going on in the Brooklyn community right now. And we'll speak with him at about 8.30 this morning, Eastern Time, here at JMNAM. I know we've said that before, that we're going to be speaking to him. I think this time it's actually going to happen. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't have got a, gone out on a limb for a third time uh, announcing that he'll be with us. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world classics, beef fry, uh, kishka, and more. And modern, better-for-you kosher products, including no nitrate-added, Reduced fat and sodium hot dogs, plus uh, many other unique items as well. Visit the website at kosherdogs.net, kosherdogs.net, and try A&H today. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechonishmas HaRav Zevner Bielsevalevi, and Zechonishmas Esther Basar Bielsevalevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We learn in the Talmud Yerushalmi that there was once a gathering to pray for rain, there was one individual in the assemblage who was extremely careful always to take Miser and give Tzedakah properly. Rav Mona turned to him and said, Rise up and say, I have removed the holy things from the house. Look down from your heavenly abode. The Imre Shameh comments, From here we see that even one individual who gives Miser is allowed to say to Hashem, I have done everything correctly that you have commanded. Look down from the heavenly abode and please do which is yours to do and give us rain in the proper time. In Mesecha Shabbos it teaches us that because of the sin of not taking Trumos and Maestros, the heavens can withhold the Talumotar. Yet, the merit of even one individual can induce the rains to fall in their proper time. We find a similar concept in Masech Yuma. It says there, Shebishvil Yochid Sha'asa Tshuva, because of one person who did Tshuva, Moichlin Oilam Kulo, the entire world is forgiven. The power to do good that every individual possesses is immeasurable. There was an elderly woman who used to take charge of collecting the money to support the Chevron Yeshiva. Each week, this devoted woman would personally bring in the sum of money, which didn't amount to much, to the Rosh Yeshiva, Rav Yecheskel Sarna. One of his students once asked Rav Yecheskel, Can the Yeshiva continue to exist on such small donations? Rav Yecheskel looked at him and answered, No. The yeshiva cannot exist on such small donations, but the world can. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser, bringing you Morning Chizik. Have a nice day. Hey, Thank you, Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. Thank you, Hashem.
Hashem ki hitai Ki le'ohilam le'ohilam chastai Ha'idu la'ashem ki hitai
השיר של ידידי היקר, יונתן חסר. J.M. in the A.M. Yaakov Shweki Ubanim here on a Wednesday morning. Joey Newcomb before that. Thank you, Hashem. J.M. in the A.M. on this Wednesday, the 14th of October, 26th of Tishrei. Good morning, all. Happy brand new 5781 to everybody. Yeah, it's still the first month of the year. We could say happy, healthy new year. Why not? In fact, this year, we, we should say it every day of the year, no matter what. <laughs> Uh, as we pray that uh, collectively our community and the entire the entire country and world keeps getting healthier and healthier, please God. On the subject of health, with us live via telephone is Dr. Joseph Weistach. It was um, made known to me by the great Dr. Isaac Pinter just a few days ago that NYU Langone, which, you know, one of the most prominent hospitals in the world and one that all of us, Manhattan residents, and of course others who are not Manhattan residents are very familiar with, they actually have a, a hospital in Brooklyn, New York, 
uh, serving our community and beyond. And Dr. Joseph Weistach is the chief medical officer at Brooklyn Langone Medical Center. He's described as an outstanding nephrologist. And uh, Dr. Pinter uh, tossed in the uh, fact that he's also an outstanding mensch and a great chief medical officer. Dr. Joseph Weistach, happy, healthy, and sweet new year to you, and welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you very much for having me. Happy New Year to you as well and all your listeners. I appreciate that. For, first, in terms of location, I looked at a map, and, and it seems to me that uh, uh, the hospital is sort of uh, between Sunset Park and Bay Ridge in that area in the western part of Brooklyn. Would that be accurate? That would be accurate. We're really in Sunset Park right on the border of Bay Ridge. We're actually across the street from one of the Hask facilities. Oh, wow, interesting. Uh, closer to our community than I thought. And um, look, many of us, regular lay people, sometimes find it hard to understand exactly how hospital systems work these days. Uh, I would assume that what we know as NYU Langone, with its main facility in Manhattan, that would sort of be an umbrella group. That's one way of looking at it. And Brooklyn Langone, I would assume at this point, is is a strong affiliate of that hospital. Would that be the way of putting it? Yeah, I, I would say that our um, way that our system works is not exactly the way a lot of other system works in that we don't separate um, different campuses by different tax ID numbers. We report in as one hospital system. We have one process for credentialing all of our staff. We have one medical record that spans any of our hospitals. So, so I would say this is a core part of NYU um, with the same expectations and requirements as the main campus. So this is not really a separate system at all. Um, and a lot of hospitals have kind of merged with other hospitals, right. and they keep affiliate status. Um, they report separately. We made an effort um, when we merged back in 2016 to make sure everyone understood that really the expectations are exactly the same. Um, and that would mean that the, the same services that one can get at any of the other NYU Langone affiliates, so to speak, you would be able to obtain those same medical services you'd be able to obtain in Brooklyn Langone. So I, I would guess that you know th those departments that were used to uh, in, the, uh, in the more well-known hospital, you, you would have a, a duplicate, uh, a list of, uh, of services and departments in your hospital. Yeah, so, so, you know, the motivation behind this merger back in 2016 was not to acquire hospitals, but there was a recognition that Brooklyn, being the fourth largest city in the world, really did not have a tremendous amount of academic first-rate medical centers. Um, and there was an observation that many people from Brooklyn are coming into Manhattan to develop to get their care. Right. And, and the priority was... We want to bring the first-rate academic medical center to Brooklyn. Why not? Why shouldn't Brooklyn, with its population, have the same type of care? So our goal is to deliver all the care, complex care, here in Brooklyn. There are a few small exceptions. So we're not doing transplant um, in Brooklyn. We're not doing certain kinds of cardiac surgery. But for the most part... Everything else is done in Brooklyn. And the goal is not to, for people to come to Brooklyn. A lot of the hospitals, the 
quote-unquote affiliates are feeders for the main hospital. Right. And that doesn't really help the patient or their family if you're going to send them away from where they live. And our goal is to deliver that first-rate care directly in Brooklyn to our community. And that's what we've done. We've really recruited top-notch people um, over the past four years to dramatically improve our care. One way of putting and I don't want to insult the Brooklyn folks, but one way of putting it just because of how hospitals are viewed in this city is Manhattan care in a Brooklyn location. That's, you know, I hate to put, I could say that. I don't know if you would say it like that. Well, <laughs> you know, what, what I would say is that the expectations for the care in Brooklyn is the exact same expectation as we have for our Manhattan facility. I, I spent 35 years in Manhattan, in NYU, at the main campus, before I came over to Brooklyn um, at the time of the merger. And many other people, far more talented than me, have come since then as well. And again, I can't emphasize enough that the expectation of the staff here is that we deliver the same exact care. Dr. Joseph Weistach with us, Chief Medical Officer, Brooklyn Langone Medical Center, essentially in the Sunset Park area of Brooklyn. It's a lot to talk about vis-a-vis our community, which I will in a moment, but just in terms of the immediacy of what's on everyone's mind right now, I'm assuming COVID care, COVID safety precautions, everything COVID, unfortunately, uh, right now is, is something that's dominating the conversation and the activities at your hospital. Yeah, so we've, we've really um, made the safety of our patients and our staff a high priority. We do not have a, a large amount of COVID patients in the hospital right now, thank God, um, but we have developed a rigorous process where every staff member every day has to fill out um, a form and take their temperature and get screened to make sure that they don't have any symptoms before they report to work every day. Um, every patient who's admitted is screened for COVID. All the patients are masked. The staff is masked um, to prepare to just prevent any risk to any patients at all. And in fact, the hospital is probably the safest place to be right now, given all the precautions. And, and I can't emphasize enough how important it is if people are not well, to not delay their care and to not be frightened of coming to the hospital because what we don't want to see and what, what you know has been reported and people have seen is that people who have serious medical illnesses, heart attacks, other kinds of illnesses, and they come to the hospital very late, and that's a real shame. Especially in your specialty, you're probably saying to yourself, very often, unfortunately, if only this person would have been here a month or two ago or have taken this care of this up drop earlier, they'd be in a much different situation. Yeah, I, I never can say if only, right. you know, as a doctor. But on paper, you could do Our that. job is to take care of what comes in. No matter what state they're in, our job is to make those people better. That's what we're charged with. Understood. Uh, our community, I mean, look, you're in Brooklyn, and obviously uh, – uh, you have an opportunity to really serve our community. You talk about the fourth largest city in the world. You know that the presence of our community in Brooklyn is is quite large. And based on the list that I was sent, uh, being somewhat familiar with hospitals, uh, having been in uh, some myself and having uh, been the uh, caregiver for uh, for um, uh, family members who've been in hospitals, I, I could usually identify what the keys are 
in serving our community. And some of the things that we have um, seen on the list that we were given about Brooklyn Langone is that you have a fully stocked and newly renovated Beaker Cholom room. You have rabbis on staff, community liaisons, and boy, is that important, ensuring all patients' needs are met. And recently, you obtained new modesty gowns for the obstetrics patients. You provide kosher dietary options. You have a Shabbos elevator. I think you have everything covered in terms of the, the list of things that are important to people in our community. And frankly, on the community liaison um, um, a topic, uh, you always need advocates, and advocates for patients always seem to be in need of advocates. Those liaisons are are so much more important than people think when it comes to dealing with our community. Uh, absolutely, and again, um, we we recruited and and um, met with doctors from all different disciplines, especially OB, about three years ago, and before we we had. The, them come and their patients come. We actually develop these modesty gowns to to allow our from patients to feel protected and covered. But it's not only that. We had a whole course with all of our staff on cultural awareness and sensitivity. So it's not just the gown; it's how we interact with right. all the patients. No um, and, and our community liaisons are here every day. They're out in the community. They're advocating for our patients. They have my direct number. They're always calling me. Um, and I'm always available for all of our staff and our patient needs. Uh, community liaisons essentially, and I know there's a sensitivity when we use the number seven instead of six, but essentially are on call 24-7 at this point. In this era, there's really no choice, right? They're, they're almost at the level of, of you as, a, as medical personnel in terms of being there for patients and their advocates when necessary. Yeah, they completely are. And, and I can tell you that several months ago, I got a call from the rabbi and the liaison on Shabbos um, and and remember, you know, in our business, pikuach nefesh is yep. is paramount. Yeah, no question about it. You're on the front lines when it comes to pikuach nefesh. Uh, and and I, I would think, by the way, that the interview process for community liaisons and rabbis who want to be part of your system has to include, you know, if if you're if you're uh, if you're not ready to be woken up in the middle of the night, if you're not ready to unfortunately leave your family for a couple hours at a time, you know, during an emergency, this this job ain't for you. This is not a nine to five type situation. Yeah, I can tell you that that you know we have those people here, but it, it's not just you know our community liaisons and the modesty gowns. It, it's really the care we're providing, and I I can tell you that we have developed advanced robotic surgery, advanced urologic oncology, brand new cardiac catheterization labs with uh, electrophysiologists, a state-of-the-art neuro ICU, um, neurosurgeons, interventionalists, um, just the, the level of services we have here, advanced endoscopy. I could go on and on. To, to, to bring a hospital up to that level, to provide all those services, to bring in all the machinery necessary and the personnel necessary, you, you do need a, a community, and I mean this collectively, not just our community, that, that's willing to you know, utilize the hospital for their services. I'm assuming you're attracting a, a pretty large crowd from the Brooklyn area at this point. Well, you know, we're, we're pretty busy, but we're always able to take care of whoever comes to us. And, and 
you know, as well as you talk about uh, attracting a large crowd, just recognize that it has been a tremendous investment from NYU oh, yeah. into the into the hospital, into the and really that's for the community. It's really to serve Brooklyn in a way that Brooklyn we see has not been served before. Uh, how do people get information to find out more about Brooklyn Langone Hospital? So we can I can connect our our public relations department with you. We can send that out. Um, our main number is seven one eight six three zero seven thousand. Um, we have people available all the time. And I, I would guess that, uh, I mean, w- would it be doctors in our community who, who need to be convinced to send their patients? I mean, this is not a decision that patients would make on their own in terms of uh, where to go for treatment, right? So, so we have a lot of doctors affiliated with our hospital um, and nearby facilities and throughout the borough of Brooklyn, but we're, we're happy to speak and work with any doctor, even if they're not facilitated affiliated and take care of their patients. And we put a real priority of making sure that we communicate with the outside doctor so that when they're in the hospital, we give them a call. When they leave the hospital, we make sure that they're up to date. That's a, you know, being a hospital is not just about taking care of patients in the hospital. It's ensuring that their transition back to the community is seamless. And that's another high priority. And I will tell you that you know, during COVID, one of the things we learned is how important it is to communicate with the family and the outside physician. And mm-hmm. it was difficult for our patients, for our families, and we redoubled our efforts in that communication process. And we're going to continue that. We have continued that. I, I think for all of us, you know, COVID is not just something to deal with. Our job is to find a way to make ourselves better from it. Uh, you probably have had to take a close look more than once over the last couple of months at your visitation policy. Is that something that's become a little bit looser? Are you able to invite people in to see family members at this point? So obviously during the peak of COVID, you know, the state mandated right. no visitors. Um, at this point, we are allowing one visitor per patient um, at a time during um, afternoon hours. But again, visitors are limited, so it's not many visitors. It's one visitor except for certain um, exceptions related to disabled patients. But for the most part, it's one visitor um, throughout most of the afternoon. And everything is relative. People people who were in rough situations a few months ago would have given anything to have had that policy, frankly. So thank God that's loosening up a bit and people can take advantage of that. Um, and, and I will tell you that visitors are also screened and their temperature is taken right. um, because especially with the prevalence out in the community, we want to make sure that we're keeping our patients safe and our visitors and our staff. Uh, you're around, as you said, since the merger in Brooklyn uh, since 2016. Have you seen a noticeable climb in um, in, in uh, members of our community, numbers from our specific community in Brooklyn that are taking advantage of Brooklyn Langone services? We definitely have seen that, um, and we are interested in working with the community, getting feedback from the community, and continuing to serve the community. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, Dr. Joseph Weistach, Chief Medical Officer at Brooklyn Langone Medical Center. Did you know that there's a Langone Medical Center in Brooklyn? Become familiar with it. It's in Sunset Park, western part of Brooklyn, and uh, sir, as you hear, 
certainly um, uh, servicing our community and making an effort to service more of our community. Information available about the hospital at 718-630-7000, 718-630-7000. Feel free if you're local in Brooklyn to speak to your doctor about Brooklyn Langone. And uh, Dr. Weistach, a pleasure to meet you in this uh, forum and looking forward to meeting you in person one day. Absolutely. The pleasure is all mine. And again, I'm always available, as is our entire staff, to serve all of our patients in Brooklyn. And we greatly appreciate that. Thanks so much for joining us Thank this morning. Thank you. And my thanks to Dr. Pinter for uh, for um, uh, leading us to uh, Dr. Weiss talking a conversation about Brooklyn Langone. Uh, Dr. Pinter is one of those uh, doctors that I feel uh, I could bother 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So <laughs> the least I could do is take his recommendation about learning more about this uh, great medical facility. Uh, more coming up at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Oh.
J.M. in the A.M. Avram or Avram Freed with a couple of great ones. That's uh, Shirata Asavim and Hashem Yilachem. Eighth day had Moses and me, and we're in the 8 o'clock hour at J.M. in the A.M. Nine minutes after a tomorrow morning on this program, tomorrow morning on this program at about 8.25 a.m. Eastern time, Brad Meltzer, the renowned author who is now the author of the book called I Am Anne Frank, it's part of the Ordinary People Change the World series. It's meant for kids. It's um, done really, really well. Really well. 
Uh, it's called I Am and Frank. Brad Meltzer is the author. He joins us tomorrow here at JM in the AM. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dogs are available a 10% discount on all A&H products are available at kosherdogs.net with promo code radio. A&H has been serving the kosher world since 1954, and A&H products are available at Better Kosher Supermarkets nationwide. Try A&H today. Check it out and enjoy. Our friends and partners in Torah remind you to visit partnersintorah.org and arrange to become a mentor for someone who wants to learn more about our heritage. It's easier than you think. Call 1-800-STUDY-42, 1-800-STUDY, the number 4 and the number 2, or partnersintorah.org. Again, that's partnersintorah.org. This is the perfect time of year as we get set to start Bracious this coming Shabbos. This is the perfect time of year to uh, hop aboard and become a mentor or a student when it comes to a Partners in Torah, so go to partnersintorah.org or call 1-800-STUDY-42 and get ready to make a, a big difference in someone's life, even your own. Yeah. Which is a um, which is great in and of itself. Uh, listener Leah on the app says, Scranton calling. Good morning. Hope your day is a good one. Today is uh, day one of high school teleconferencing. Davening that they back to davening that they back to regular schedule. Oh, davening that they're back to regular schedule soon. Unfortunately, Chesed is best served by staying away from other families. Yeah, don't we know that? Down in Atlanta, AJ Carpool number two sixty seven is reminding everyone of this week's themed kiddish. Even if you don't uh, do so at home, everything from black and white cookies to sunflower seeds to gingerbread men. Listener Daniel preparing for this coming Shabbos. Maishi Rosenwasser. Happy birthday to you. We learned that from the NSN app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Happy birthday, Maishi Rosenwasser. Please keep in mind Tamar Elisheva Bastvora. Tamar Elisheva Bastvora, and your help with that is greatly appreciated. Tamar Elisheva Bastvora. Jacob Cornblue is scheduled to be my guest about uh, 15 minutes from now. Uh, I don't think he'll be able to speak about the case. Uh, but he will be able to speak about what's going on in Brooklyn, New York, from his perspective. Reporter Jacob Cornblue, my scheduled guest, 8.30 this morning here today on JM in the AM.
יושב לו אי שם במרומים, הוא הרופא כל חולים, הוא הנותן רוב שמחה לילדים, הוא האוסם נשפטים, הוא בשמיים והוא היחיד, הוא הגדול הנורא, הוא השומר עלינו
J.M. and the A.M. Gershon Verobo with Kimat. Before that, Tfilah done by Omer Adam. You heard Lashana Haba. That was Yaak- that was uh, Shavas Achim and Einod Milvado. Yaakov Chesed here on a uh, Wednesday morning at J.M. in the A.M. Jacob Cornblue is with us live via telephone. Uh, Jacob is the uh, national political reporter for the Jewish Insider. Covers politics with a Jewish angle. He's regularly interviewing uh, government officials, political commentators, and others. And uh, as many of you know, he has been uh, one of the people in the uh, center of recent activities in uh, Brooklyn, New York, regarding the COVID lockdown. Uh, One of the things Jacob did say to me before the uh, broadcast is that there are certain things he will not be able to discuss this morning, including, quote, unquote, the case. Uh, but obviously, if there's a question you can't answer, he'll simply tell us that. Jacob Cornblue, a happy, healthy, and sweet New Year to you, and welcome back to JM in the AM. A good winter, and always good to be with family. <laughs> Much appreciated. And yes, a gesunden winter, we're hoping for everybody in the community and beyond. Um, it must be interesting from your vantage point, uh, not only observing what's going on, in terms of the uh, COVID lockdowns and the reaction of our community to all the things that have been happening over the last few months, but literally being a target of, of many. Um, how did this all develop? I know that you were one of the most outspoken people in our community in a noticeably Jewish area of Borough Park, Brooklyn, uh, one of the most outspoken people over the last few months about taking precautions, being as safe as possible, and taking seriously the Torah edict of seriously protecting our health. Um, how did it go from that to you becoming uh, one of the targets of the Brooklyn community? I believe that my reporting early on, in the out- after the March outbreak, um, about you know social distancing violations, which were frankly uh, not only imposed by government, but actually initiated by community leaders and rabbis once learning that we were very hard hit and people were literally dying on a daily basis. Uh, when I saw uh, reports coming out of 20 uh, and 30 funerals a day uh, just in Brooklyn, it broke my heart, but I also uh, was motivated by those who actually uh, you know, encouraged the community to take certain measures that could save lives. And that was my objective then, and that should be the objective of every individual uh, on a daily basis. Um, I believe that, you know, over the last few months, uh, because there was a reduction in the infection rate, because we were below 1%, certain people believed that we had herd immunity, certain people believed that the virus actually traveled away from New York, uh, people became lax, but also uh, the pressure uh, was released uh, from, you know, people actually uh, complying with the social distancing measures um, and guidelines. Uh, you know, amid the recent uptick in cases, and when Bill de Blasio and Governor Cuomo uh, stepped in uh, to impose new restrictions on our community, uh, it is then when people who accused me at the time uh, of being an informer, of a snitch, 
of seeking harm of the community who, you know, returned to the front of the debate in trying to paint me as someone who collaborated with the government and actually encouraged the government to impose restrictions, which I disagree and have uh, challenged uh, both the governor and the mayor about. Uh, What happened last week was that certain people uh, who are seeking attention, who uh, were felt emboldened by the following they gained in recent weeks, uh, took it to the next level. And, you know, from social media, from WhatsApp groups, he took it to the streets. And once that escalated, uh, all it took was to recognize and notice me in public, shame me in public, and instigate uh, protests, which resulted in what you read about me last week. And we should point out that you did suffer physical harm. I'm assuming you're relatively okay now, or is that something you wouldn't discuss publicly right now? I mean, I am okay. I'm safe. Thank God I'm talking to you, despite some rumors that I'm not with us anymore. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I am safe, back to work, and trying uh, to do what I did uh, all my years. Right. You know, be honest, uh, be frank, but also focused on my day-to-day work. All right, so we have to discuss Cuomo de Blasio, and we have to discuss whether this is a Jewish-like reaction or not. But before any of that, I'm assuming you're still in the bar park area. Obviously, the 20 to 30 funerals per day is not happening, thank God, like we experienced back around Pesach time. But what is happening? In other words, would you as an observer in the community say that, in fact, things are as quiet as they were a month or two ago and that the numbers and statistics might be going up for other reasons? Or would you say, no, Nahum, the ambulance sirens are more than they were a month or two ago? And just like I knew so many people back in April who were suffering from this disease, I actually have a list of people in the community right now who are suffering from it. Uh, You can't deny the fact, and the data shows that there is an uptick. I mean, people are getting sick as well and also being admitted to the hospital. Uh, Things are not as it was a few months ago. Uh, Certainly, uh, you know, statistics speak for themselves. I do believe, though, that here's where, uh, you know, government errors in which, number one, uh, the spike in cases started on August 1. Uh, Bill de Blasio's first press briefing about it was early September, a month later, where we could have you know, spared the community four weeks of actually you know, letting this virus spread uh, um, in this neighborhood um, you know, with a simple measure, which is encourage mass testing. What the mass testing does is basically it gives you an accurate sample of the infection rate. And if there is a spike in cases, it will result in that. But what we saw is uh, people who are getting sick or feeling symptoms were going to the clinic to get tested, and their results came back positive. That's usually the case when people are not encouraged uh, to actually... And go to the clinic 
to get tested or there's not a mass testing uh, outreach in the community. And therefore, when the government saw numbers coming in, 200 tests and 4% of that is a positive rate, they were alarmed and it grew. But they did not take the first measure, which is encourage mass testing. Second measure, which is, you know, outreach to the community, educate the community who are lax about the certain guidelines and, you know, bring awareness that this is a serious threat. It is still with us and we have to deal with it. We have to undertake certain, uh, you know, restrictions that would just bring down the infection rate, and, and they don't need, and they don't, and they don't even realize the benefit, uh, you know, time-wise uh, or timing-wise. They don't even realize the benefit if they would have acted the way you just described, because we would not have been dealing with Yontif. We wouldn't have been dealing with a situation that is much more resentful in the community than if it would have been, for instance, in August or early September. Yeah, I also believe that you know, once you know, it became a public domain. Once the spotlight was on these neighborhoods, uh, the governor did another two mistakes, which was, number one, single out the Orthodox Jewish community as a prime target. Not to say uh, that he singled out the community because he hates us, because Governor Cuomo and his father had a long-standing relationship with the community, and the same should be said about the mayor. But I believe that, you know, he could have said there is a spike in certain neighborhoods with a diverse community and certain religious communities who, uh, you know, have been lax uh, with certain um, uh, um, uh, social distancing guidelines. Yeah. Uh, the second mistake was uh, not even giving time to bring down the infection rate, not even giving time for the community to actually you know, implement by outreach, by encouraging people to actually wear masks and uh, uh, practice social distancing, it took about three or four days from when, uh, you know, the government alerted the community until the governor stepped in and said, here are my restrictions, above all, limits that could not be implemented that is unacceptable for any religious community, especially amidst a holiday where most of our activity during the holiday is in these houses of worship. Right. Jacob Cornblues with us Wednesday morning, JM in the AM. Then there's the other issue, and I don't know how comfortable you are uh, speaking about this publicly. Um, I have a, a degree of comfort when it comes to this. Um, we we saw a reaction in our community, really in more than one of our communities, um, that really goes against the grain of how people view our community generally. And what I mean is when you see violent protests and fires being started, uh, that that's something that's generally not attributed to members of our community. When you see mob-like activity, some of which you were a victim of, Uh, It's not generally attributed to our community. Uh, Can you excuse any of that, or can I get away with saying that this was completely un-Jewish type, uh, an un-Jewish type of uh, way of dealing with it? I mean, it was not only un-Jewish, and it's not only criminal behavior. I do believe that uh, it just 
cause more harm to the community long term. I mean, when people watch the news and they see this, uh, their perspective on a visible, orthodox Jewish person is going to change for the long term uh, way after uh, this virus is over. And so, number one, you know, people should be safe within their own neighborhood. People should be safe walking on the street. But also engaging in violence, uh, engaging in, the, in this sort of harassment on anyone who is, you know, frankly, either doing their job as a reporter in providing data, uh, bringing awareness, and actually, you know, doing on-ground reporting, but also those who advocate for simple social distancing guidelines, simple steps that would not only bring down the infection rate and therefore, you know, return uh, to the reopening process, but also saving lives. If we can save even the life of one precious soul, it's worth it. And so, you know, engaging in violence, engaging in divisive rhetoric, despite our frustration and anger uh, towards the governor and the mayor, by doing that, we're actually, you know, causing a lot of harm for all of us. And notice you said... Uh, social distancing and masks. You didn't say the necessity to close stores and to close synagogues. Starting with those- absolutely not, because I believe that there are two parts to that. There's number one, the limit on you know gatherings and uh, prayer services in shuls, which is I mean, you know, think of it. Okay, uh, in late March when the Rabbonim decided to close the shul, okay? We had a rate of over 50% positive rate. We had, you know, as I mentioned, 20 or 30 funerals a day. People took the, their own measures and the responsibility of staying home and conducting minyonim, you know, on the balconies or right. uh, in the backyards. But they were never restricted of actually, you know, praying. Right. Here, by not closing down the houses of worship, but limiting it to a number which nobody can accept, because if you look at Borough Park itself, the neighborhood of Borough Park, you probably have over 100 synagogues just in this neighborhood. Uh, The smallest uh, synagogue uh, with three tables probably has more than 10 people on right. any given day. Understood, yeah. And not, so but... you're putting that, you know, adding to that congregation to have hundreds and thousands of uh, congregates uh, on Shabbos or uh, on the holidays. I mean, that is something that is just unacceptable. It just doesn't match with reality because the spike, despite growing, is not so dramatic. Yeah. And number two, you're not unable to enforce it. Look at uh, the government uh, uh, enforcement just over Yomtev. You know, it, I mean, 10 synagogues to get fines, um, uh, fines of uh, $15,000. You know, okay, uh, um, it's unfortunate, but it's only 10 synagogues. Uh, we are glad that it didn't expand 
<laughs> but nevertheless, uh, if you are going to implement certain restrictions and you're going ahead with it, uh, people expect from government that you actually make uh, good on your pledges, that you actually... And again, <laughs> if your objective is also right. bringing down the infection rate, you actually have to come up with practical solutions that would actually bring down the infection rate and not only frustrate the community uh, and, you know, uh, make people think that you're out to get them and therefore they would be less uh, motivated to actually comply with the measures. Jacob Cornblue is with us. Um, for this one, remember that we're, we're speaking uh, to a, a diverse global audience at this point, uh, all of whom have an interest in, in, in our community. Um, in one of the interviews, I was asked about the, how does a madman like the one we saw in Borough Park, you know, get this type of attention following? And I said that, you know, when there's a, a void of leadership, you know, that, that void's going to be filled and often filled by somebody who's, you know, got a lot of rhetoric and a loud voice. I explain to us how it works in the Borough Park community. So many of us felt that if one of the Rebbes, for instance, one of the Hasidic Rebbes, for instance, and there are some prominent ones with large followings in, in, in the community, would come out and, and, and literally, you know, physically become a presence in front of a mob like that and say this has to end now, that that would have an effect. Is, is, is it, am I dreaming by saying that? Or, 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 or are there people, leaders in that community that really could have quelled this almost immediately? Nachum, uh, if I would say what's really on my heart, uh, I would actually play into those who want me uh, to criticize leadership, uh, because clearly uh, I can confirm uh, and agree to every word that just came out of your mouth. Uh, I do believe that it's the responsibility of, of our leaders. Again, it's not only the responsibilities of our leaders to encourage, uh, uh, to undertake measures to actually save lives, but also to uh, make it very clear uh, that violence is unacceptable, not only against a member of their own community, not only in their own neighborhoods, but against anyone. Uh, and I do believe that, um, you know, we shall see if certain steps are being taken uh, that uh, what happened last week will not repeat itself. Do you cringe like I do when you see videos from Sunday of Simcha's Torah Kiddishes uh, being given in certain neighborhoods? Um, and the reason I put it like that is because I understand when people, even on Simcha's Torah and other public holidays during you know the month of Tishrei, you know, I understand their frustration where they want, where they do go out of their way to to make it feel a little bit like a real Simchas Torah, and a little bit like a real Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. I I get that, and I can understand that from you know being a member of the community. But when there are rules in the states of New York and New Jersey, and they are flaunted the way they were in the videos that we've seen, that makes me cringe. Do you have the same type of reaction? I mean, Nachum, uh, you think it's easy for any of us? to walk around all day with a mask, especially sit in synagogue the entire Yom Kippur with a mask on your face? No, it's uncomfortable. Do you think it's uh, comfortable to live a life where you don't really get to see your friends and family and you're just, uh, uh, you know, 
limited by seeing them on Zoom and the Wi-Fi reconnecting itself every few minutes. No, uh, it's not easy. Uh, I think that, you know, everybody has the collective responsibility to take measures that will, you know, uh, reduce uh, the effect uh, of this virus. And if you do uh, go to a restaurant, uh, you don't have to upload that picture on Instagram. Uh, you don't have to show uh, the world that, hey, um, life is all well, we are back to normal, just because we decided that either uh, we are immune of that virus and that we are okay with what's happening. No, uh, we are not in uh, you know, usual circumstances. We are in a very, very difficult period right now. People are in the hospital gasping for breath. People are actually losing their lives because they're helpless, because they cannot uh, get uh, treatment for this virus. And so we should all uh, have a responsibility to, you know, to just comply with the most simple uh, guidelines that were provided uh, by the experts, <laughs> not by government, not by Mayor Bill de Blasio, not by Andrew Cuomo or by any other Democrat, uh, so to speak, uh, to infringe our religious rights. No, uh, we have a collective responsibility uh, to save lives, and that should guide us on any given time. Finally, um, many of us this summer were frustrated when it seemed that uh, police forces around this country allowed uh, criminal behavior to go unchecked and uh, and get completely out of hand. And we don't have to go into detail. I think everybody's lived through it, uh, hopefully not personally. Um, it, it, can I assume, and I, I'm, I'm sort of conjecturing from, from, your, from your posts and from your analysis over the last few days, can I assume that you're still thankful and impressed by the NYPD that in certain situations where you really needed them, they were there, or, or am I giving them too much credit? No, certainly the job of law enforcement is to protect its citizens. And uh, last week, um, I got that protection. On Sunday night, when a mob uh, um, protesters gathered outside my home um, uh, trying to storm my building, yes, the NYPD guarded that entrance, and me and my family were safe. So I have to give credit for the, uh, for the NYPD, but law enforcement in general, uh, for protecting us. But I do believe that uh, government's role is to not only uh, punish those who uh, conduct criminal behavior, not only uh, take uh, impose restrictions on a certain community just because, just because it's uncomfortable for them. But I think, again, going back to what I uh, said uh, early on in the program, which is uh, a collective responsibility to actually deal with reducing the infection rate. And that could be done by uh, practical solutions that were offered by certain lawmakers and certain people within our community that would actually collaboratively uh, uh, work between uh, government and community. Uh, people would not feel singled out people would actually be encouraged to do that, and we would all uh, be in a much better place. 
Well said. Uh, very much appreciate you being on this morning. It was worth the wait. By the way, is a Jewish insider taking a position on uh, on the Senate confirmation hearings? Are you impressed by the uh, by the proceedings or not? Jewish insider is reporting about everything that is happening in the world, and I encourage all your listeners to sign up for our morning newsletter. Well said again, and yes, it's well worth it. Jacob, thank you very much. Stay safe, and uh, know you have a lot of friends who care a lot about you, and I thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate that, Malcolm. Thank you. Jacob Kornblue, Jewish insider, uh, very much involved, uh, whether whether uh, he intended or not, in the current situation that has been going on in uh, Brooklyn, New York, regarding COVID restrictions and our community's reaction. JM in the AM on this Wednesday morning broadcast as we get set to wrap things up. And um, we have a full schedule, of course, online all day. Our digital network continues to enthrall many. Those of you out there who have not yet supported our fall campaign, I hope you will uh, seriously consider it and then take action to support our fall campaign and become one of our sponsors. FJBUnity.org. Again, that's FJBUnity.org. FJBUnity.org. And um, when you go to that site, you'll see a letter that I wrote about a month ago about the role that this network has played in the community over the last uh, over the last COVID. And I think you'll find a um, many reasons in that letter uh, to give and to support us and to keep us going here on a daily basis. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you with your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, in the beloved NSN app. Wraps up a... Uh, an interesting Wednesday, to say the least, here at JM in the AM. My thanks to uh, Dr. Weistach. My thanks to Jacob Kornblue. Tomorrow, Brad Meltzer. Brad Meltzer, the world-renowned author, is author of the book, I Am Anne Frank. Brad Meltzer, tomorrow in the 8 o'clock hour here at JM in the AM. Have a fabulous Wednesday. Till tomorrow, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.